Welcome back to the Anything Goes with Jackson Neal podcast. On this week's episode, sporting news writer Vinny Iyer comes on the show to discuss the NFL draft, and musician Maya Manser joins the program to discuss her latest EP, Second Skin. First up is the conversation I had with Iyer about the lead storylines coming out of the NFL draft. Just starting off, which team would you say, what are some teams that you say had the best drafts? Well, I think you have to look at what each team needed or the identity of each team. You've got to start with that. If you're a rebuilding team, you want to stockpile picks, get as much versatile talent as possible, and you've got to say the Browns and 49ers picking 1-2 in the top of the draft here, well, 1-3 in the end, that they really took care of business here and getting the volume, another busy draft for the Browns. We had 14 picks last year, very involved this year uh, with 10 more picks. So, Look at Miles Garrett, Jabril Peppers, David Njoku. These are type of athletes and talent that Browns typically have lacked here in recent years. And you look at the 49ers, their defense right away with Solomon Thomas and Ruben Foster, both levels taken care of and getting those extra, extra draft picks and the creative the Bears. And I really liked uh, what the Texans and Titans did, both in the AFC South. I really liked going up to get Deshaun Watson and Zach Cunningham, two guys that can help. Texans uh, hold off uh, that division now and contend for an AFC title. And Titans, I think the Corey Davis and Adoria Jackson picks are exactly what they need. And you look at the Eagles, I think they're not getting enough attention here. They went out and got a couple defensive backs as well as Derek Barnett, who I think is going to be an impact pass rusher for them right away. Um, you mentioned a lot of these um, teams that are at the top of the drafts um, stockpiling these picks. How important is it for those teams these for these um the teams at the bottom of the standings in the NFL to stockpile picks, or is it more important for them to move up and get those top level guys? I think you want to have a mix. If you can get a few early picks and uh, several late picks, I think that's the ideal situation. You want some top flight talent, but you want just talent in general, and you want options because the more picks you have, the more chances uh, guys are going to work out in different areas. Uh, if you have hits or misses. Uh, the more picks he has, the increase you're going to get a few hits in the later rounds as well. So I, I think that's why it's very important with these teams that just have multiple needs across the board and are rebuilding everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the the Bears moving up to get Mitch Trubisky, and I just thought, how are quarter? Would you say quarterbacks right now are overvalued in the draft? Definitely. I mean, you look at how the action moved on these guys very quickly and moving up. I think the Texans had the desperate need and they had to take care of it, but you look at the Bears, it's a head-scratching move because that's why they had Mike Lennon, to buy them some time to start a guy and maybe look at next year's draft where the class is better right up the top with Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and guys like that, so you're surprised that uh, they went after it like that. And the Chiefs when you don't know how long Alex Smith is going to play, so he probably has a couple more years to be that aggressive to get Patrick Mahomes the third, so in a draft class, it was pretty weak overall for QBs. With next year being next year and having some value there, that was a big shot. Do you think any of these quarterbacks this year have the potential to be franchise QBs? I think it's definitely Watson because he's in a great situation. He went to a team that's already winning, and that doesn't really happen for these quarterbacks very often, that the supporting cast is built pretty well. You have a defense. You have a potential for a better running game there with Dante uh, Foreman joining Lamar Miller. You have an established go-to receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. So you look at very profile very similar to stepping in for Dak Prescott there last year. Kind of the unexpected twist of going to a very talented team as a franchise quarterback, and that doesn't happen too often. And I think those guys always have a jump 
over these quarterbacks, there's a lot of pressure on them to win with not much around them. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that um, Miles Garrett was the top player in this draft? I do, just because he can do a little bit of everything very well. And edge rusher, if the quarterbacks are not looking that elite, and you have a guy, edge rusher, it doesn't matter, 3 4, four, three, a guy that can, you can move around a little bit. If that player's special against both the pass and run, you have to go after him. And I think Solomon Thomas was, to me, a close second in, in that ability. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, what were some teams that you thought made some questionable moves throughout the draft? Well, I go and look at the Bengals, and I, I know some people look at just the pure talent aspect of what they got, but I look at it in relation to their team and where they're going. And I don't think they're in position to take John Ross that early, especially with some questions about that shoulder. I don't think that was cl- close to the biggest need for the Bengals. I think like Barnett would have been a little bit better for them, maybe even going a little deeper for Garrett Bowles on their offensive line after losing Andrew Whitworth. So this team, I think, is rebuilding more. I don't think they can reload and suddenly compete in the AFC North. I think they're somewhere in limbo between the Ravens and Browns where they have to get back to it. And Joe Mixon, just a very controversial pick. I don't think this team needs any more controversy like that. I know they have a needed running back. They're concerned about the future of Gio Bernard and Jeremy Hill, but I think they could have gone a different direction. I, I like the Chiefs pick later with Kareem Hunt there. I think that would have been a better pick for the Bengals a little later. Just not addressing the offensive line here until very late and uh, taking a kicker early. There's some other things I didn't really like about the Bengals draft. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that Joe Mixon pick really stuck out to me was looking at their defense, especially with players like um, Vontez Perfect. They can't seem to keep their composure on the field. And it's off the field, they have some issues too. So seeing them pick Joe Mixon was a little bit of a red flag for me as well. Yeah, I think another team down there that uh, took a red flag player was Gary Conley go to the Raiders. And they went back into their little habit of uh, taking some project guys, Conley with the high upside, but has the other issue lingering. You look at the second pick, Obi Melifani, the safety from Connecticut. Yeah, big guy, very athletic, but not sure what position he can play. This is a team that needs immediate help as a young playoff team to get over the hump here. And I just didn't see that typically from this draft. Mm-hmm. There's only very few teams that you can really say have the ability to take on those characteristics. Um, we're talking about some players that fell in the draft. Who was at least one or two players that you were surprised to see fall? Well, I can definitely tell you that uh, Cunningham was one of them. I really liked the way he played there at Vanderbilt. I thought a lot of teams could have used him. I thought the Chiefs. Could have been in the mix for him if they'd stayed at their pick in, in the first round. And I think you have to go with O.J. Howard. I think just the way things shook out, that a lot of teams in that early part just didn't feel like they could take the luxury of taking a tight end like that. But then you saw uh, a couple guys go right after with Evan Ingram and David Njoku. So I think that was a surprise. And I think you have to say Ruben Foster was a surprise. Even with some of the concerns that he may have had in Alabama and from the injury things that were there, the fall rate of that uh, pick near the end of the first round is just uh, shocking to me because he's the guy that I don't have to do much thinking. You plug him in, you know he's going to be a tackling machine in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mentioned a tight end in there, O.J. Howard. How much with what we've seen with tight ends in the NFL, players like Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham over the past couple of years who have really just kind of revolutionized the position, are we starting to see tight ends become more valued in the draft? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a special position, especially when you have hybrids like that that can create mismatches all across the field. And this particular class just lined up very well. You look at Howard and 
he's going to fit in nicely because Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson are there to you know, draw some attention. There's going to be a lot of middle of the field to stretch there for Howard. And then you look uh, down the line, Evan Ingram, he's got Odell Beckham Jr., Brandon Marshall, and Sterling Shepard clearing the way for him to be effective for the Giants. And you can joke here, they immediately moved on Gary Barnes and moved him out of there. And I think looking at uh, Terrell Pryor moving on and only getting Kenny Britt return, I think Njoku can step in and be the go-to guy for whoever's a quarterback in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, who are some players that you thought uh, teams reached to get? Well, I, I think in the first round, I, I thought uh, going early with uh, John Ross, I thought was a bit of a reach to me. I think just because of uh, having some other issues there that uh, I didn't expect him to go uh, that I mean go that high in the draft. And I think maybe you look at Garrett Bowles, maybe an older guy, maybe the Broncos might reach forward instead of uh, Ryan Ramzik. And he had Ramzik last all the way to the number 32 pick the draft. I think he was a little bit safer to me overall. I, I think you have to look at the Chargers. I think for them. It was a reach for what they needed with Mike Williams. I think they could have gone very easily defensively and uh, had some holes there as well to address. So I think that was another reach for me. And I'm not a big fan too much of Tredavious White, the pick by the Bills. I think he does fit a need, and I think he reminds them a little bit of Stephon Gilmore. But I think the corners, the way they shook, it out, shook out here, I thought that Kevin King should have been the first rounder in that spot. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for coming on. Where can people find your stuff? Yeah, they can uh, go to sportingnews.com. We're flipping the script to full off-season mode there. So, end up draft reviews, but uh, looking forward to, to breaking down these teams further in the off-season. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Next up is musician Maya Manser, who just released her EP, Second Skin. Here is her and I's conversation about the project. What was the inspiration for your latest EP, Second Skin? Um, I mean, the inspiration came about as we went on to do it. I mean, I, I wrote all the songs on piano first and, uh, usually around 3 (laughs) AM in the middle of the night. That's, that's when I get my inspiration. But I think honestly, the, what, after looking at it now, and especially the name being second skin, the, the EP, uh, it's kind of a coming of age to me, mm-hmm. like uh, when you when you go well into your, even though you're like in your 20s and you're not a teenager anymore, I think a lot of people, they still, you know, struggle with trying to figure out who they are and what they want to be and what they want to do and trying to find their way. And so, all the, you know, it's it's kind of in that in that same regard and and, you know, struggling with partying or, or anything like that, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of my what what I what I decided it was about, and um, then second skin as well is, is kind of like uh, figuring out what does a second skin mean, and and uh, if that's like an emotional armor or if it's making you stronger. So it's kind of this duality effect on the entire EP. What does second What does second skin mean to you? For me, it's either one of those two either one of those two options that I just brought up, I think it's, uh, and on that EP, it's like a constant battle in every song. Mm -hmm. Every song has that constant battle. Um, So 
it felt only the most appropriate that the EP was named Second Skin. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the sound mm -hmm. of this project? Uh, it is very dark, <laughs> yes. super dark. It's, I definitely, I thought it would always be released in the fall because mm -hmm. I thought it fit the mood of autumn, but, um, you know, it happened when it happened and I'm so thankful it's finally out. We've, you know, been working on it for a few years now. Um, so yeah, I, the mood it's it's dark it's just real i was very raw when i wrote it it's it's all very real and were genuine you, so hard for me to gauge <laughs> were you trying to make it effort were you trying to make an effort to make it that dark i mean i definitely love darker very heavy sounds mm -hmm. so working with buddy ross was like you know he was like the perfect person to work with. I mean, he makes all different styles of music, but he was able to catch on to my taste and my styles very quickly. And I, I, I love cinematic sounds as well. And I used to play, or I still play violin and viola. So, I mean, I compose with those instruments as well. So I, having the heaviness of an orchestral sound is very important to me on those tracks. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned writing mm -hmm. the songs first on piano. Do you develop the, and now I'm playing uh, violin and all uh, these instruments, do you focus on the more of the music mm -hmm. aspect before you get to the lyrics? No, I mean, I lyrical content has become one of my most important focuses. Okay. Uh, it's, for some of the songs, like sometimes I uh, come up with a hook first, Mm -hmm. in in my head i can just hear it and like the lyrics just flow out um but like all the verses and everything those are those are just like streams of thought like it, they're very raw they're very real i don't on this on this current ep i don't feel like i um censored myself mm -hmm. like i i have in the past so it was um i don't know it's very it, it opened up my world too as an artist um and it's funny you bring that up because as for as for Sweet Hell, one of the songs, mm -hmm. it's the first track on the EP, uh, I actually dreamt that song. Really? Um, before it was a song, yes. Mm -hmm. So I had this dream at three in the morning, and it was three or four, and it was about of this like, I think I can say this on the radio, <laughs> but it was this beautiful, I was, I was standing in the middle of this big room and there was a stage in front of me. And then all of a sudden this beautiful woman, she kind of looks like Marilyn Monroe. She walks out on the stage and she's completely nude, but it looked like beautiful and artful. Mm -hmm. And she just starts singing the main melody of my, of that song, Sweet Hell. And I immediately woke up and I ran out into my kitchen and I just started like recording it into my phone. Thank goodness we have phones now that we can do <laughs> things like this. But I just started recording that melody into my phone and um, was able to hold on to it and make a song out of it. And one of my favorite songs that I've written. So, yeah. That's an awesome song and a pretty cool story. Is your mm -hmm. creative process usually something like that, just the spur of the moment? 
It it is a little bit more spur of the moment. I mean, I you you do kind of have to uh, force yourself to write sometimes mm-hmm. because you can get stuck in you know quote unquote writer's block. But at the same time, like I uh, I once had this uh, composition instructor and he told me, well, you know, say you're really hungry for a chicken and you're sitting on your porch and you see a chicken walk by, the chicken's not going to just come up and let you grab it and eat it. You're going to have to go hunt for the chicken. So it's kind of this idea of like, you need to go out and hunt for what your song is going to be and figure it out and make it happen. Mm -hmm. You know, some songs aren't going to be as great and as good, but then you get a golden one Mm -hmm. and it's great. So I saw that you have uh, spent some time in Seattle. And speaking of songwriting, that's a city that's had some incredible songwriters. How has that influenced you? Oh, well, I think that city definitely influenced how dark my sound is because it's dark there all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's gloomy and dark all the time. Um, So it it definitely, definitely influenced how I... uh, just the lushness also like it's very lush there if you've ever have you ever been there i have not oh yeah it's very lush it's very green Mm -hmm. um it's gloomy and dark all the time so i i'd say that you know the ep definitely matches the the landscape if i think about it but um i just recently moved to los angeles and you know it still fits but it's definitely you know a darker mood so, so your so. so your environment really reflects, I guess, how uh, your music, especially. So now you're in Los Angeles. I guess it's going to be a lot different of a vibe. It is going to be different. Yeah, I mean, I'm already. I can't believe it. I'm already writing like a little bit of up, more upbeat, happier songs. It's crazy how that <laughs> the environment really, really reflects your creative process. So, yeah, it, it's it's been wild for me. Mm-hmm. Um, touching on something you talked about earlier, I saw that you worked with uh, Buddy Ross, who's worked with Frank Ocean before. Yeah. Just, what mm-hmm. was that experience like working with him? Uh, working with Buddy Ross was, I mean, he's like one of my best friends now. I, I really, he's just, he's just a great, great guy. And um, at first when we started working together, of course, you kind of have to test the waters. But he's such a professional guy and like all about making the music exactly what it needs to be, which is why it took us so long. It took us a year to work on those three songs. But um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, what came about was something so beautiful. Um, And we also like he's very all about us working like hand in hand. So we worked on those together like Mm -hmm all the time um and so he yeah he was i i i feel like again words cannot express he's he's just a really he's a great dude mm-hmm. yeah now that you mentioned you worked mm-hmm. on that on that project on this project for a year i mean you can really hear that this music is just so deep and layered i feel like when i listen to it i can i can definitely hear mm-hmm. that come through uh, i also saw that you had worked with mary lambert before as like touring with her as a oh, back yeah. As a backing vocalist, uh, what did you learn from working with someone like that? You know, I I learned a lot about the music business side and aspect of things. 
a lot of things that I didn't know, especially because I was so young when I was touring with her and I was very green. Uh, and, and to learn that many things about the higher up music business, because mm-hmm. she was in the mega pop world, yeah. was very, very valuable. And to see how touring works out and the cost of things, it's, it's very um, eye-opening. And it taught me how I want to treat my band and treat the people that I work with, because um, Mary was so incredible about it. And it's been very lasting for her in that aspect. Like, people that work with her love her forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really valuable. Um, speaking of like touring, are you planning on doing some shows? Yes, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm figuring that out as you know, as we're speaking really. Mm-hmm. Uh it's so I'm gonna be coming to New York to play a show in June. We're still figuring that out. And I've got a couple of festivals in Seattle. Um, but touring, I'm, I'm definitely wanting to do. So I, we, we just got to figure it out. Got, got to get everything, you know, mm-hmm. hammered away. But t- touring is, and planning a tour is, is like a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, definitely if you're coming to New York, uh, let me know. Cause I'm sure everyone here over in New Jersey would definitely love, love to come see a show. So is that, wh- oh, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. No problem. So um, <laughs> is that what your plans are for right now, just focusing on possibly a tour? Yeah, definitely. The next plan is a tour, uh, licensing, you know, fun fun business stuff. And <laughs> I like to say fun business stuff. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> it makes me feel better. But <laughs> yeah. ex- whatever, whatever label you need to put on <clears throat> it, I guess. <clears throat> um, right, exactly. exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to talk with you. And everyone can go check out Second Skin, your EP. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Jackson. That'll wrap it up for this edition of Anything Goes with Jackson Neal. Big thank you to Vinny Iyer and Maya Manta for joining the show. And remember, every single week, 9 to 11 a.m. on 107.9 FM in South Jersey to catch the full show with all of the music. Also, the Anything Goes with Jackson Neal podcast uploaded every single Saturday. SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit jacksonsportstalk.com, jacksonneal.com, as well as find the show's page at my Twitter, at Jackson N Sports. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.